Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and thanks for joining us on Founders and Friends for another awesome podcast. Let's give a quick shout out to the Cruise Consulting accounting team. We're very fortunate. We have a ton of people at Cruise who work on the monthly books for our clients and get them all set up, due diligence ready, rocking every month, answering all the clients' questions, making all those adjustments. And there's no better moment for a founder and for us, really, when founder says, hey, I think I'm going to get a term sheet. Are my books ready for diligence? And we get to say, yes, they are. Fire away. Send them over. Give them access. That is a great feeling. It's the feeling that lets us know we've done a job very well done. And nothing is better than watching that cash hit the bank account. So if you are a venture-backed startup, you're going out to fundraise, maybe check us out. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. We love what we do. At taping here, I think we have 575 clients. Clients raise over a billion dollars this year. So we know what we're doing. And hopefully we can help you be successful in your fundraise. All right, let's get to the podcast. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orn. To Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Andrew Miller of the Minnesota Vikings. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Scott. He is doing his he's he's flying the the company slash football team colors here with the the beautiful purple shirt there. Uh, Andrew is a longtime friend of mine, and you've got an amazing story. So maybe just retrace your career a little bit and tell us how you end up at the Vikings. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't want to be redundant to, you know, the, the past episode I did on your show, but uh, I, I grew up in Southern California, a huge sports fan, played sports growing up and uh, was really fortunate uh, to walk onto the Cal baseball team, was uh, on the team there for four years as a pitcher, uh, graduated with a business major from Haas and uh, really always wanted to be around sports. So, you know, I thought as a left-handed pitcher, maybe I'll, I'll become a, a major leaguer, play professionally. And I think, you know, really quickly within my Cal career, I realized that, you know, there's a totally different level of, you know, baseball player you're seeing, you know, both on your team and, and the teams you play against. And so at that point, it became much more about how do I find things I can do around sports? And I uh, took a little bit of a detour, graduated from Cal and went the finance route, uh, did about seven years in investment banking and venture capital, uh, went through the dot-com boom and bust, you know, was in Silicon Valley, you know, went through, you know, dot-com boom in the late 90s and in banking and then venture capital. And then uh, everything turned uh, pretty quickly when, when the market uh, busted and uh, ended up realizing at a certain point, it's time to go to grad school. And uh, that's really what led me to, to Northwestern. So our, our path across, obviously, at Cal and at Northwestern. And, you know, I, I went there not necessarily to uh, become a lawyer. I did a JD MBA and was really thinking about the intersection of law and business, um, but wasn't thinking about sports. I was thinking about, you know, getting, uh, you know, rounding out my education, getting those degrees, uh, expanding my network, and then going probably back into private equity or going into tech uh, somewhere. And it was really my first year of law school. I started thinking much more about sports and, and baseball. Um, I read Moneyball. The book had come out a couple yeah. of years before we started grad school. And um, I'd realized it happened literally down the hallway from me in Oakland when I was an intern there. And uh, I realized that in just six or seven years, the world may have changed. And so uh, with three years of school, I felt like, you know, I can explore this. There's really no risk for me to learn more about an industry I'm passionate about. And if it works out great, uh, I got really lucky at some point. 
uh, met Chris Antonetti, uh, the current president of, of baseball operations for the Cleveland Guardians. And uh, at the time, he was assistant general manager. And the you know Cleveland hired me as an intern. So between second and third third year at Northwestern, uh, went out to Cleveland did an internship in baseball operations. Uh, I wanted to be a general manager, so I wanted to work on the baseball side of things, work on player trades and contracts and salary arbitration and. Uh, was really fortunate, you know, Cleveland with Chris, with Mark Shapiro, with Chris Antonetti, with uh, Mike Chernoff, you know, what became Derek Falvey of the Twins and Carter Hawkins of the Cubs and Ross Atkins, who I worked with in Toronto. Derek Falvey started uh, his internship a couple months after I started full-time. Uh, same with Carter Hawkins, the Cubs general manager. That's amazing. So, That's so fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, all those guys were at came to your wedding, and it was like a uh, it was like seeing the Rolling Stones or something like that for <laughs> all of us baseball dorks. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, and you're being pretty modest on the Cleveland stuff. Like you really worked hard while we we're in school to like. I remember you like didn't you just go to the baseball conference and then the Kansas City Royals helped you out or something like that and like you got it was like three degrees of connection. No, to even talk to Indians, I, I thought. No, I mean, I spent a lot of time networking, which is really outside yeah. of my comfort zone. But just talking to anyone who would talk to me about their role yeah. in, in sports, you know, not just baseball. I talked to people across football, basketball, who, whoever would talk to me just to try and understand how, how people got to where they are and, and kind of what people do in different roles and what, what I might be interested in. Um, no, I, I got to Chris. Um, it was kind of a circuitous route, but there was uh, someone else who had interned for another team that was in business school, different business school. And uh, I got connected to him and talked to him. And, you know, at the end of the conversation, he just said, you know, I don't really know Chris well. I don't think I can make an introduction for you, but I actually think Chris would really, you know, value a conversation with someone like you. Your, your background would resonate with him. You should just try and get in touch. And I emailed Chris that night. It was a completely cold email, uh, blind email. And uh, I was fortunate. Chris responded, you know, a few days later. We talked a week later and, and I got an internship, you know, probably within a month. That's amazing. Do you think it was like, do you think the investment banking and then the law degree like really helped like on paper or in, in just real practical experience? hundred percent. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of people, I, I talk to people all the time that are, you know, interested in sports, a lot of students, um, you know, we're, we're really fortunate in this industry that there's so many people that are passionate sports fans that are interested in uh, coming in and working for a team or working for a league or, or a sponsor. And, you know, that question comes up all the time and without any doubt, I think the, the background, you know, I was fortunate that, you know, Cleveland, you know, was the right group of people to, to look at that, you know, background and, and value it. But, um, you know, the, the ability to, you know, uh, combine things from finance, from investment banking, and venture capital type work, uh, the, the legal aspects. Uh, absolutely helped. And, you know, I think what we look for every day, what Cleveland was looking for at the time, you know, how can you come in and help us uh, get better as an organization? Yeah. Uh, there's so many people that are talented. There's so many people that are interested in sports. You know, for us as an organization, we're looking for someone that can come in and, and help us get better. Uh, and so I, I was lucky, you know, Cleveland you know, what they said was you have a background that uh, is, is different from ours and, and you can come in and compliment what we're doing. And, um, you know, we're not looking for you to get us coffee. We're not looking for you to 
to buy us lunch. Um, you know, we, we want to win the world series and yeah. you can help us try and achieve that. And, um, I think that's the mentality, you know, we try and take here as well as, you know, we're trying to find talented people in whatever function, uh, we have, whatever role we have. And the ultimate goal is to, to win Super Bowl championships and to create a, a world-class fan experience, uh, for Vikings fans. And, um, there's people with all kinds of talents in this world that can help us do that. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I have a little saying whenever new people start a cruise, I always say like, I love it. Like it's a sign of someone's going to be a huge contributor. If two weeks into the job, they've got some type of improvement or advice for us, because we, we don't pretend to have invented everything about startup accounting, but we're perfectionists and process people. And when someone comes in who's new and can be like, oh, you should be doing this. Or have you ever tried that? Or I found this works really well. It's a signal. Not only does it help us get get better right away, like you're kind of talking about, but it's also a signal they're going to be a huge contributor down the road. And it's it's like that. We're we're like that too. We we're not too proud to learn from everyone. And not invented here uh, does not exist for us. I'm sure it's the same for for you guys, like at the at the Vikings. No, absolutely. You know, sp- sports is really interesting because people, you know, actually focus on it, you know, as a, as a hobby, like not even yeah, necessarily right. their yeah. full-time job. Right. So you see people writing for websites and blogs and that are just really interested fans. Yeah. And so, you know, working for a team, we actually look for people who, you know, write, you know, for some of those organizations um, or, or do their own work because, you know, then it's, it's not even like within a week or two, you literally can see their work, their thought process yeah. and say that that can actually make us better today. Yeah. Right. So, you know, a good example, um, you know, there, there's a guy named Victor Wong that actually still works in Cleveland uh, in baseball operations. And he was writing for, in, at the time, a, a site called uh, Harbaugh Times, and he was writing really interesting articles about valuing prospects and you know creating a model that values trades. And we were reading these articles and thinking, wow, this is a really interesting perspective. And, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, we don't have any idea what his background is. It's just as Victor, you know, works for yeah. uh, you know, the Hardball Times. And you're like, okay. And, yeah, it's like uh, LinkedIn didn't have a whole lot going on it, but he's a genius. No, on no stuff. but he he sent all of us hard copies of his resumes, and literally all of us got back at the same time, you know, from lunch together, and we all have you know the same envelopes on our desk, and we open them, and we're like, You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. You know, this guy Victor is a freshman at Northwestern. Um, and so no we, we, we immediately reached out and thought, Hey, you know, if he's sending resumes out to teams, we should try and hire him. And yeah, yeah, he interned yeah. for us for four straight summers. Uh, and then we hired him full time and, and he's been there since. So, um, you know, like when you look at, uh, a, a number of people that have broken into the industry, there was some track record in, in baseball of writing for baseball prospectus or hardball times or baseball America or, or just scouting, right? Because, you know, you can go out for free and scout yeah. your high school team or your college team and, you know, get better and talk to the scouts who are there about what are you looking for and how do you write reports? And you, you can start seeing the track record, like you said, of going beyond just being interested in sports, but doing something that is directly what you're going to be asked to do working for a team. Totally. Also, you're, you're kind of touching on like demonstrating your work, you, like not asking for permission to demonstrate your work. I'm huge on that too. That, the for Even for me, the podcast is like a hobby and I get to talk to like these super interesting people, but it's out there in the world and people can find it, you know, or like for Vanessa, 
it was writing a bunch of blog posts about how to do startup accounting and taxes and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, that's, that's one. I mean, Andrew, if you like think about when we were like a cow, it wasn't, it wasn't as easy to do that. You know, they're even blogging, like kind of, I don't even know if I wasn't aware of it, you know, but like, that's one of the exciting things about the world today is like, you can demonstrate your work, demonstrate how smart you are, get better. Cause no, also this is another kind of thing, which I think you're touching on is like, no one expects you to be a genius or fully polished, you know, when you start, just get into it, start doing it. And then like the victors of the world create so much more opportunity for themselves by doing this. No doubt. I mean, the technology has changed again. I mean, we, we both kind of came up through both Cal, but also, you know, Silicon Valley in the late nineties. And, you know, we were all really excited, you know, we were all in our early twenties, but, yeah. um, you know, we thought we were changing the world. Right. And you thought the technologies that are coming uh, that, you know, people are investing in, that's going to change the way we all live our lives. And the truth is it has. Right. And looking back 20, 25 years, you know, the, the whole world has changed based on those technologies. Now, you know, there was probably an overcapitalization of a number of you know, type of companies that, yeah. you know, the world may not have exist, you know, needed a thousand of, you know, some type of startup. But like the technologies that were being uh, conceptualized and, and funded at the time uh, have totally changed even this conversation, right? The ability to do that. We're using Cruise Client Squadcast to record this remotely. Like last time we did the podcast, I think we had to do it like over the phone or over like, I don't even remember how we did it, like our recording on our phones or something like that. And now this is so much easier. The other thing is you talked about Moneyball. Because even for me, I, I never worked in. I did actually. I forgot. I did work for in sports. I worked for Steinberg and Morad, the 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 agent firm, when I was in college. Um, so I have worked in sports and seen it a little bit. But um, like, for, you know, you're talking about the technology in Silicon Valley, but like Moneyball changed the way the sports world worked. You know, and like, I it was really interesting hearing you say that happened two doors down from me or down the hallway when you were interning with A's. Like, did did reading that book. Uh, did it give you more confidence or like get believe in yourself that you could actually like do, do what you're doing these days? Like it was like, I feel like it made it more tangible. Does yeah, that make sense? It, it does. You know, so my internship with the A's, uh, you know, senior year at Cal fall semester once a week in their business administration office. So I was not working in baseball operations, Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but you know, reading the book, you realize, okay, well, Billy Bean was there as assistant GM at the time. Yeah. Right? So that was just at the, the start of, of that process. I think it, it did give me some of that confidence. I think it also gave me the insight that, hey, the world has maybe changed to value either my background or or be more yeah. interesting for me in the type of analysis and work that that people are looking at in, in baseball. And it, it was a very natural, when you look back, you know, it was a very natural progression for, for baseball and for sports, right? Because in the early 90s, right, big contracts were only a few million dollars, right? that exploded you know it was exponential right a rod signs a 200 million dollar deal yeah. 10 years later right in, in the late 90s early 2000s. it was almost like a rod's deal was almost worth more than the texas rangers as a franchise were worth probably well, well, so that's right so you know when you have you know billionaire owners like no one wants to lose money on a deal no one wants to get the player you know wrong or the contract wrong that's true in any industry right but a few million dollars right that, that's not going to bankrupt your organization 
$200 million was. I mean, that that contract was worth more than a number of teams or, or close to you know the value of a number of teams or something like that. Yeah. So like that changed. And and when you look at you know transactions throughout your career or you know your listeners do, right? Like when you think about a two million dollar or five million dollar investment versus a two hundred million dollar investment, the level of sophistication of risk analysis, of rigor, of decision making, like it's all, you know, much more, you know, scrutinized and much more heightened in any company. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that. You're, you're, I've never thought about this connection before, but like, it's actually one of the drivers of why people work with us on the accounting and tax side, because like an entrepreneur only has one company and they've taken a bunch of funding and they're trying to get to an exit. And so screwing up that exit it's like screwing up the a-rod contract you can't afford to do it so therefore you're going to plan ahead hire specialists hire people who are really thoughtful to actually make it work so you don't have these giant mistakes it's actually kind of crazy i just made this connection just now in my head but yeah it's like it's this specialization and i I guess what you're saying also is as dollar gets bigger you can afford to hire or invest more resources around the decision making right that's kind of what you're saying in, in sports yeah, I'm not sure you, you can afford to or not. It's more you, you, you have need to. to, right? You, yeah. you, you need to look at it as a, a different level of risk that you're assessing. Um, and that skill set may be different from the skill set uh, that, you know, identifies the, the talented player, right? Totally. And so yeah. you, you probably need both, right? You need the ability to identify, you know, the player that you want to invest in, but then you need, you know, some level of risk assessment uh, as part of the process. And um, like going back to, to my background, right? So I, I worked in baseball ops for four or five years and then switched to the business side in Cleveland, uh, was there for about six years on, on the business side and then moved to Toronto, uh, was there for four seasons and, and then came here. And the, the business side of things, one of the things that was really interesting to me at the time, because I wasn't looking to switch. I, I wanted yeah. to be a general manager. I loved what I was doing. I loved where I was doing it and, and who I was doing it with. And the idea that in baseball there's no salary cap 75 percent of your revenue is local right you need to be very successful in running your business right yeah. to be able to compete and so moneyball was about you know how do you look for advantages how do you find ways specifically you know dedicated to the player side of things but what we realized and it took another 10 years or so was we need to be operating that way on the business side as yeah. well and, yeah. you know, very similar to, you know, your clients and uh, people in Silicon Valley, like you, you need to be running a successful business. And ultimately, what are we? We are a, you know, customer face facing business, right? We are You're a consumer brand, really. You know, it's like Clorox or, you know, what, you know, it's interesting. I just watched a clip of Moneyball the other day on on YouTube and Jonah Carey has this whole thing where he's like, Billy likes to keep the money on the field, you know? And he's telling David Justice that in the movie because David Justice has to pay for his own sodas. But what you're saying is like that's that's thinking of a finite amount of money to be kept on uh, invested in the players. But you're saying is make the pie a lot bigger off the field so that you can continue to reinvest in the players and make the team better. Right. 
So, yeah. So the, the decision for me to switch. So, so I switched to the business side, uh, Mark Shapiro moved from general manager to team president and, you know, he had been in, in Cleveland for 20 years in, in baseball ops and we're very small organizations, right? We have roughly 200, you know, plus or minus full-time employees, right? So that, that's not very big compared to, you know, the, the media spotlight or the awareness of our brands, right? Yeah. You would think we're much bigger companies. Yep. Um, and so like, you, you know, the people across the organization, but you're not necessarily thinking about like the challenges and, and how to solve and, and what problems, you know, in, in those roles. And so when Mark started to switch to team president, he was going to oversee the business side and the baseball side, and he wanted someone to help him learn the business and ultimately run the business. And I, I was exactly where I wanted to be. It was a really difficult personal decision. Um, but ultimately I switched for a couple of reasons. One, was because I'm really passionate about sports and yeah. almost no one works on the business side and the sports side, right? It's a very rare uh, transition to experience both. And so I, I just thought I'm going to have this really unique perspective on an industry I really love. I don't know where that'll take me, but but I'll enjoy kind of learning that. Um, yeah. And then much more important, I was there because I wanted to win a World Series. And um, the way baseball works, you know, we, we needed to find every way we could to create competitive advantages. And it it wasn't enough to just be good on the baseball side, which we were good, um, right? And we were continuing to get better at, right? But we needed to also think about how do we, you know, create fan engagement and, you know, build our brand and improve the ballpark experience and connect with people over, you know, different technologies at the time, social media, uh, right? How do we engage people in a different way? Um, ultimately, that's going to lead to both short and long-term revenue, which is going to fund baseball, right? Yep, and so yep. um, how that's do how we- you win the World Series from that. That's that business contribution to winning the World Series, right? That's exactly right. And so, um, you know, that was the, the piece that really drove me was maybe given all the talent we had in the front office in Cleveland, maybe my role can actually be more impactful if I help us think about how do we reimagine our, our business and, and contribute in uh, in a different way. Hey, it's Scott Orn, and we're going to take a quick break from the podcast to give a shout out to the cruise tax team. Gosh, it's so nice to have an in-house tax team. I can't even tell you. Uh, we have some really amazing professionals on the team. It's over, I think it's 13 people now. And we do everything from your federal state income tax return, state franchise tax filings, R&D tax credits. Those are pretty popular these days. And guess what? They're there for you when you go through diligence. A lot of people don't know this, but you actually go through tax diligence, not just operational kind of financial diligence, but you do go through tax diligence. So it's nice to have... Vanessa Cruz on the phone with your VCs and with the accounting firm they hired to diligence all your stuff and the law firm they hired to diligence all your stuff. Vanessa knows what she's doing. She's done this a million times. And uh, and not it's not just Vanessa. We have a really great team of tax professionals that will do those calls too. It's, it's kind of sometimes the difference between getting around closed or having it take another two weeks because something was disorganized and the tax compliance wasn't done correctly. We hear those horror stories from clients that come to us. So, hey, if you want Cruise's tax team on your side, we're here for you. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. Thanks. I feel like we should jump into, there's something we were talking about before we turn the mics on, which was, because we were reminiscing, of course, because we're all friends. And I remember you having this problem with the Indians where, that, like you said, 75% of revenue is local. And so ticket sales were like super important. 
but there was like a lot of discounting and the Cleveland marketplace was smaller than some of the other marketplaces across the country. And then you went to Toronto and had a different thing happening. And then now you're in the NFL. Can you talk about it a little bit? Cause I, I found it like super fascinating the way you're, you, you look at the different business, like the business of sports, especially attendance, how you think about that. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the questions I get asked a lot, um, you know, coming into football is what, what's the big difference? You know, I'm yeah. about to start my fourth season at the Vikings, uh, was in baseball for 14 seasons in, in Cleveland and Toronto. Uh, and so the question about, well, okay, what's the biggest difference? And this is going to not sound all that sophisticated or smart, right? But the number of games is really different from a business perspective. And, and that's pretty obvious, right? For, for all fans, everyone knows there's 162 baseball games. You know, there's 81 home game, you know, baseball games. Uh, and, you know, we only play 10 home football games, right? We play, you know, one or two preseason games and then eight or nine regular season games, you know, and, and then potentially the playoffs. But, you know, really it's, it's 10 versus 81. Right. And uh, you, you you can easily calculate the difference in what that means from a, an inventory standpoint, but yep. that changes your, your business challenge. So in Toronto, we had almost four million tickets to sell. Right. Or roughly four million tickets. To sell. 81 yeah. times whatever the what, 45,000 or 50,000. Yeah, uh, yeah, we had just below 50,000 seats in 81 games. So that's four million tickets. And in uh, Minnesota in the NFL, we have 67,000 seats times 10. So we have 670,000 tickets, yep. right? So there's a supply and demand, you know, difference, right? Our uh, supply is much, much lower um, and, and our demand is high in, in Minnesota. So that's good, right? But you don't have that inventory. In baseball, like the biggest business challenge is how do you sell incremental tickets to the lower demand games. Like by definition, you have some games that are higher demand than others. And how do you sell tickets to the ones that aren't as high demand without pulling people from the higher demand games, right? Yeah. So it's also like the tough, we were talking about this too earlier was, it's not just the ticket revenue, but it's the Cokes and hot dogs and parking and buying a t-shirt for your kid and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so there's this huge, there's even, it's like the opportunity cost of not getting the not selling those 20% of tickets for baseball is even worse. Like it, it's, it's humongous, like getting people, it's like almost like the movie theater business in a way, you know, like the, the popcorn and things like that can actually be really high margin for the teams. Right. Yeah. So you're trying to look at, um, you know, it's sort of like, you know, you said a movie theater or an airplane, like once the airplane leaves, yeah. right, you can't sell that seat, right. Once a game occurs, you can't sell a seat. And so what, what's the trade-off in value for someone buying a ticket at potentially a lower price? And what's the additional revenue you get while, while they're there, if they attend, right? So buying uh, concessions or merchandise, um, and, and there is some trade-off and there's di different economics on each of those revenue streams, right? So the idea that just, well, we'll just throw the doors open and, and you know, discount all the tickets, right? That may not be the, the ideal you know, mix for your entire season or, or for long-term. Yeah. Right. And yeah. So, Cause like the, the people, the, the fans get used to discounts. It's like sporting goods, you know, if everyone thinks they can buy their sporting goods on discount, they just wait. Right. So you have to balance that as well. Yeah. There's a, there's a behavioral piece for sure. Again, we're, we're a consumer business, right? So yeah. uh, there's different strategies that you could take in a consumer business depending on your brand positioning and depending on competition. Uh, and we're, we're no different, 
right? We uh, just happen to, you know, sell uh, content and, and access to, you know, watch sporting events. So there was something that you were talking, so with the NFL, like the Vikings and the Vikings are, you know, I think part of this is just like good management over the years too, but they have a ravenous fan base. They're kind of like the 49ers, like, they're, they're always going to do well in Minnesota. Like they are, I've, I don't want to speak for you, but like Minnesota is kind of like a football town, I think. And you guys have a new stadium a relatively new stadium. So you're some of the, some of the stuff you're working around are like, wow, there's so much demand for these games. How else do I, how do I think about the marginal, like not marginal, but like the, the person who, how do we activate the next generation of fans or someone who hasn't come to the game as well in a while. Right. Absolutely. I mean, we're really fortunate. Like we have a really strong, passionate fan base, a strong brand, a, a, a rich history and legacy in Minnesota. You know, we have world-class facilities that are effectively brand new in U.S. Bank Stadium yeah. and TCO Performance Center. You know, we have great relationships, you know, in the community and, and with, you know, businesses. Uh, Minnesota has a, a great corporate base here. Uh, there's 17 Fortune 500 companies yeah. in Minnesota. So it's a, a really, you know, unique environment. Uh, we have great people. We have talented employees. So, you know, our, our challenge is like, how do you take all of that and go to the next level as, as an organization and as a business? And from a fan standpoint, um, you know, we're going to have, you know, people that are, are very passionate Vikings fans that may not live in Minnesota or may not live near enough to attend games. Again, there's only 10 games, including our preseason, right? So there's a limitation on capacity for people to attend in person our games. Then how do you engage people, right? How do you build content that is engaging to people? How do you you know, build in other experiences uh, that may engage people outside of those games. Uh, how do you cultivate, you know, the next generation of fans and, and fans that uh, may not otherwise be able to attend every single game? That's our business challenge, right? Is, yeah. you know, how do we create such a special experience both in our stadium on game days and then outside of it to continue to keep people, you know, captivated? And, you know, the NFL is is a truly unique uh, business and it's a really strong, you know, league and the league does a great job of, you know, marketing the sport uh, as as do teams. And there's attention, there's interest on the NFL and on football every single day of the year. Yeah, so that yeah. was another one of the big differences coming in, you know, from baseball. And not that there's not a baseball. Baseball, there's a ton of attention uh, and interest. Uh, you know, f football, like just people are, are ravenous to try and, you know, get content and interest um, in, in players and, you know, team moves, you know, all year long. How do you think, like, what are some of the stuff you guys, I'm sure you do like a lot of stuff on social media, but are you like helping the players package themselves or teaching them how to connect with the fans directly, or maybe even like the management team or the, or the coaching staff or the ownership? Like, how do you because to me, it's like, especially in this generation, I'm going to sound like a really old guy here, but like it's, it is that kind of personal touch, but doing it through media or doing it through digital. Like, is that something you guys think about? Yeah. I mean, I guess it is and it isn't right. I mean, 10 plus years ago, you know, when we were trying to roll out our social media strategy in Cleveland, there was an education component of yeah. you know, what, what is this? How do I sign up for it? <laughs> do I need to be on it or not? Right. Yeah. I think everybody has gotten so much more sophisticated in this world. That's uh, true, actually. So yeah. there, there's not a lot of, hey, here's what social media the players is. are probably teaching you guys how to do stuff is probably what it is. 
For sure. Right. And I think, you know, everyone's different. Every player is yeah. different. Every organization is different in sort of what their approach is, you know, to that. But uh, if someone's interested in, in uh, connecting with fans or, um, you know, building a social media presence, it, it's available to them. And, and I think they're aware of it well before they walk in into our doors. Yeah, I think that stuff starts in college now, maybe even high school, you know, like with the the because player, the guys who were playing in NFL are always the superstars in high school and college. What about like the this is more of just a general question, but like the, does the executive team of the like you're doing this podcast? This is a great example, right? Like you're and this will be watched by a bunch of people. But like, do, does the coaching staff do stuff like because I always think of it like. I remember like the coaches would always do like a local radio show a couple of times a week or something like that, which I always like, love listen to, but there's so many more avenues for that kind of stuff nowadays, like the in- Instagram chats or TikTok chats or whatever. Like, how do you, are there other stuff you guys are doing to, to make that connection? For sure. I think, you know, we, we have a new coach in, in Kevin O'Connell. Uh, we have a new general manager in, in Quasi Adolfo Mensa. Um, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out what's the right balance to uh, providing I- exposure to fans, right? Doing uh, chats in different mediums, either through uh, members of the media or through our own uh, content platforms. Uh, and, you know, frankly, al- allowing your coaching staff, your, your executives uh, to be successful in, yeah. in their roles outside of that, right? Because, yeah. you know, they, do their they, job, right? Yeah. And, and so I think, um, again, we, we live in an industry that there's a ton of uh, interest. And so, yeah. you know, I, I think part of our job is uh, to, to create access and to provide content to fans uh, to, to satisfy that interest and to build our brand and to engage fans. Uh, and we need to do it in a way that uh, is allowing people to be successful at their jobs. Yeah. There's, there's something you said about the baseball being 75% local. What's the is the NFL more national or like TV contract driven? Like how what's the break like not broad strokes? You know yeah, NFL is different, right? It, it's roughly the opposite, right? It's it's much more skewed towards national revenue. Uh, the the media deals at the league level or the you know sponsorship deals at yeah. the league level, um, and so that that is very different, right? In terms of uh, what that means from you know decision making at a, a team level and, and the interactions with the league that changes, you know, a lot of the dynamics. Does it, does it feel like, cause you've worked in both, I, I would think. And by the way, I, we, we need to let you go here in a second. Cause we're taking too much of your time, but like, does that facilitate more cooperation amongst the teams to grow the overall league pie versus like the Yankees and Cleveland Indians not doing, you know, they're, they're so different in their kind of uh, economic local economic perspectives that the, like they may not work together as much. This is a hypothetical. I'm just asking this question versus yeah. like you and the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears, like these are teams in your division working together to build the game in the Midwest or northern part of the United States. Like, does it facilitate more cooperation amongst the teams? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think each league is slightly different. Um, we all have a collective interest in, you know, growing the sport uh, and growing the interest in, in our respective leagues, right? Whether it's baseball or football or basketball or soccer or whichever league, you are competing fiercely on the field. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so yeah. It, it's sort of... Uh, I'm know, talking about the business side here. 
Yeah, I mean, so w- working on the the sports side, you know, versus the business side. The business side's much more. You, you have the ability to connect and share best practices. Um, you know, because you may not be directly competing, you know, if we're thinking about, hey, what's your marketing strategy and how do you think about, you know, this type of you know, business challenge, right? That, that, that may not necessarily be pulling a customer from one team yeah. to another, yeah, 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 yeah. whereas you're not sharing those secrets, you know, for on field, right? Yeah, yeah, you're not sharing the CRM data uh, is what you're saying, but, but no. the, it's more of a conceptual like I'm just flashing back to like business school where like if you're the market leader, you want to grow the overall pie versus if you're like a challenger, you're usually trying to take share from the market leader. And you guys are kind of if you look at like the we were draw big circles of all the sports leagues. The NFL would be the market leader amongst all sports. And so you're trying to grow the NFL game and the and but I, it's just kind of interesting. I actually think the NFL was really smart to structure the league that way. Because every, there is like a cooperation level, I would think that's probably maybe a little stronger than baseball. But you know, I've never worked in in those leagues. Yeah, I, I think you're always thinking about trying to grow the industry and and grow the interest from a league perspective. But again, you, you want to be successful on the field, and and you want to yeah. be successful as a business. And so th- there's always some some trade off there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the NFL has been very very successful. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's a great product. Okay, I got to let you go. We went over here. Thank you so much. Great to see you. And uh, four years, I'm looking forward to, to hopefully, if the 49ers don't win the Super Bowl this year, then the Minnesota Vikings win the Super Bowl. It's, it's time for you guys to, to do it. Not necessarily in that order, right? Let's. let's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know who you're rooting for. The Vikings. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It was great chatting with you. All right, buddy. Take care. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Old.